Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am Doris Hansen, your host, and we're grateful that you have invited us into your home to share part of your evening uh, with us. First, I'd like to mention that the Utah County Outreach for those who are questioning Mormonism and are seeking the biblical Jesus Christ is next Tuesday, March 20th at 6 p.m. in Provo. They'll be showing the DVD, Are Mormons Christian? Uh, if you'd like more information, you can email way61 at hotmail.com or you can call 801 374 8489. And again, we do recommend that if you are leaving Mormonism or polygamy, you should seek out a support group that will help you with your transition. Also, I'd like to mention that there is a, me- a meeting, uh, a conference meeting, I guess you'd call it. It's called Confident Parenting. It's going to be held at Mill Creek Baptist Church this Sunday evening on March 18th. It's from 6 to 7 p.m. And this will be an excellent resource for parents and also for ex-polygamous mothers to learn how to best work with your children's behavior. Uh, The church address is 1515 East, 4500 South in Holiday. And that will be this coming Sunday, March 18th from 6 until 7 p.m. And I would like to thank the Mountain View Bible Church in Laverkin, Utah, for their warm welcome this past Sunday. I met some wonderful people. I was able to chat with some new and old friends, and sadly, there were some people I was unable to meet, but hopefully in the near future, we can meet up. And if you're interested in what our ministry is doing and would like us to come and speak at your church group or organization, give us a call or email us, um, and we will be happy to talk to you about it. You can call 801-649-3103, or you can email us tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and we can talk about it. You know, a structure is only as good as its foundation. If the foundation is weak, if inferior materials are used, or shoddy workmanship, or the structural design uh, or engineering is inferior, the building won't last. And this is also a spiritual truth. Jesus told us clearly that a bad uh, tree cannot produce bad fruit. Uh, Polygamy and racism is an example of a bad tree producing bad fruit. The foundation of Mormonism is polygamy, and racism is right in there with it. Now, don't be fooled. Today's Mormonism is not the same as early Mormonism, and the Mormon fundamentalists are cookie-cutter examples of that statement. The fundamentalists, at least most of them, are still racist, and of course, they are still polygamous. And if you wonder why, it's simply because they believe and follow the doctrines of original fundamental Mormonism as invented and presented by its early leadership. These past couple of weeks, a special brainwashing session for the world by the Mormon media has been attempted. 
They are denying that they ever taught or believed in or embraced a doctrine of racism. They are saying that it was just folklore and they deny that they even know why it ever occurred or was talked about in the first place. And that's amazing to say the least. But what's even more amazing is that people are believing it. The robotic mindset of mainline faithful Mormons are swallowing the Kool-Aid. They have taken the poisonous bait hook, line, and sinker. Now, originally tonight, I was going to spend most of the show talking about the, the early Mormon polygamist, Heber C. Kimball, and I'll still devote some of the time tonight to talking about him. But in view of current events, it's only fair to our viewers that we stand up for the truth and expose the lies, and I'm going to do that tonight relevant to the racial issues of early Mormonism. Now, the quotes that I'm going to use are all from the mouths of the revered Mormon prophets, the leadership, or from official church publications and doctrines. So if you want to call it anti-Mormon, go ahead. But in doing so, you'll be admitting that your own doctrine is <clears throat> anti-Mormon, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. The official statements have denied that they ever taught racism. They are claiming it was all folklore and that they don't know how or why it originated. Well, we're going to help you know where it came from and how it originated, and we're going to start with the originator, Joseph Smith, the first president of the church. <clears throat> and Joseph Smith said, and I quote, most of these quotes will go on the screen. He said, quote, had I anything to do with the Negro, I would confine them by strict law to their own species and put them on a national equalization. Joseph Smith preached that blacks were the offspring of Cain. Quote, in the evening he debated to show that the Indians have greater cause to complain of the treatment of the whites than the Negroes or sons of Cain. He clearly and heretically referred to the blacks as sons of Cain. Brigham Young, the second president, said, and I quote, Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. No folklore here, but Brigham Young said it's the law of God, and I wonder if this really ever happened where anyone died on the spot. John Taylor, president number three, taught the blasphemous doctrine that the Negro race was a representation of the devil on the earth. And I quote, And after the flood, we are told that the curse that had been pronounced upon Cain was continued through Ham's wife, as he had married a wife of that seed. And why did it pass through the flood? Because it was necessary that the devil should have a representation upon the earth as well as God. This was pure, original, genuine, Mormon, racist doctrine. Wilford Woodruff, fourth president, said, quote, And if any man mingle his seed with the seed of Cain, the only way he could get rid of it or have salvation would be to come forward and have his head cut off and spill his blood upon the ground. It would also take the life of his children, end quote. Such lack of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion in the early Mormon leadership. Joseph Fielding Smith, another president, said, quote, There is a reason why one man is born black and another is born white. 
The reason is that we once had an estate before we came here and were obedient, more or less, to the laws that were given us there. Those who were faithful in all things there received greater blessing here, and those who were not faithful received less. Now, all these quotes so far have been from the very lips of the prophets and presidents of the LDS Church. This wasn't folklore. This was doctrine. And if this is false, then they taught false doctrine, which means they were false prophets, and the LDS Church is not a true church. Racism was also taught in their conference messages. Apostle George F. Richards in 1939 said, and I quote, <clears throat> The Negro is an unfortunate man. He has been given a black skin, but that is as nothing compared with that greater handicap that he is not permitted to receive the priesthood and the ordinances of the temple necessary to prepare men and women to enter into and enjoy a fullness of glory in the celestial kingdom, end quote. Now, if this is only for folklore, why did they preach folklore from the pulpit in their conferences? Let's look at official LDS church publications. This is from the juvenile instructor. Quote, their skin is quite black, their hair woolly and black, their intelligence stunted, and they appear never to have arisen from the most savage state of barbarism. That's awful, isn't that? and from times and seasons, quote, The descendants of Ham, besides a black skin, which has ever been a curse that has followed an apostate of the holy priesthood, as well as a black heart, and the abolitionists are trying to make void the curse of God, but it will require more power than man possesses to counteract the decrees of eternal wisdom. This article says that to change the LDS doctrine of excluding blacks takes more power than man possesses. But man did it because God doesn't change and Mormonism does. The official Mormon canon subscribes to white supremacy and the curse of Cain, the pearl of great price. Abraham 1.24 tells us that from, and I quote, Ham sprang the race which preserved the curse in the land. And Moses 7.22 says, quote, And Enoch also beheld the residue of the people which were the sons of Adam. And they were a mixture of all the seed of Adam, save it was the seed of Cain. For the seed of Cain were black and had not place among them. The Pearl of Great Price is an official doctrinal book of the Mormons, and it teaches that the curse of Cain is the black race. The first chapter of the book of Abraham clearly explains that the curse of Ham and that his descendants could never hold the Mormon priesthood. That is doctrine. Mormons and polygamists alike need to listen to the following information very carefully. The book of Abraham teaches that all Egyptians are descended from Ham and that anyone with a single drop of the blood of Ham was of that cursed race, that no descendant of that cursed race could hold Mormon priesthood. Most Mormons are told that they are descended from Ephraim and Manasseh, who were the two sons of, of, Egypt, of, of Joseph who was sold into Egypt. Joseph was married to an Egyptian woman. She was the daughter of the priest of On, and you can read that in Genesis chapter 41. 
In Joseph Smith's own arrogance and biblical illiteracy, he disqualified himself from holding any Mormon priesthood because he claimed he was from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim's mother was an Egyptian, and the book of Abraham cursed all those with black blood, including Egyptians. Therefore, Joseph Smith could not hold any authentic Mormon priesthood. He disqualified himself by his own racist doctrine. In 1947, the First Presidency issued an official racist statement, and this was signed by all three members of the First Presidency, and I quote, from the days of the prophet Joseph Smith, even until now, it has been the doctrine of the church, never questioned by church leaders, that the Negroes are not entitled to the full blessings of the gospel. That was in 1947. Two years later, in 1949, the first presidency again issued the following statement, and I quote, the attitude of the church with reference to Negroes remains as it has always stood. It is not a matter of the declaration of a policy, but of direct commandment from the Lord, on which is founded the doctrine of the church from the days of its organization, to the effect that Negroes may become members of the church, but that they are not entitled to the priesthood at the present time. They said that this doctrine was a commandment from the Lord. And in saying that, they lied about the Lord. And they're lying to you when they tell you it was mere folklore. God is not a racist. He loves all that He created. That's why Jesus died on the cross for everybody. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Romans 10.12, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Romans 2.11 says, for God does not show favoritism. Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35 says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 gives us a small glimpse into the throne room of heaven. Notice who we see in heaven. Revelation 5 9 says, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This verse tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ purchased people from every possible people group on the planet throughout all time. There are none left out. These biblical passages are over 2,000 years old, much older than Mormon racist doctrine. God doesn't show favoritism. And when Joseph and Brigham and John Taylor and all the other early racist Mormons and polygamists say that God rejected the black race, they are slandering his character. They are lying about God. This wasn't folklore. It was Mormon doctrine and still is the doctrine of most Mormon fundamentalists. Joseph Smith did ordain into the priesthood a black man by the name of Elijah Abel. But 
True to their chameleon nature, the ordination was later rejected. There's a letter from Joseph Fielding Smith in 1963, and he said, and I quote, It is true that elders of the church laid hands on a Negro and blessed him, apparently with the priesthood, but they could not give that which the Lord had denied. It is true that Elijah Abel was so ordained. This was, however, before the matter had been submitted to the prophet Joseph Smith. It was afterwards that the prophet Joseph Smith declared that the Negro was not to be ordained. So they turned around and rejected the ordination. And then there's the infamous Bruce McConkie, the Mormon doctor guru. And he said, and I quote, The Negroes are not equal with other races, but this inequality is not of man's origin. It is the Lord's doing and is based on his eternal laws of justice. 1966. If indeed these were eternal laws of God, how could they have been changed in 1978? Why hasn't the LDS Church renounced its underlying doctrines of white supremacy instead of lying about it? If this racist doctrine was merely folklore, as they are trying so hard to convince the world that it was, why does folklore dictate practice and doctrine? And why does folklore re require a revelation from God to change the practice? We know that they lie about the truth, but now they're lying about their lies. The name of Jesus Christ may be in their name, but Jesus Christ is not a liar. So what will you do? Believe and follow all your early Mormon prophets, what they taught, and follow all the others who have gone before you, blindly following and walking behind them, stepping off the, click, the cliff into the eternal dangers below? Are you going to totally disregard the truth, or will you open up your eyes to the fact that the emperor does not have on new clothes? In fact, he doesn't have on any clothes at all. There are dozens and dozens more quotes and articles that we could use on this subject of early Mormon racism. And for the truth seeker, it's not difficult to find them. You can find them all. And we suggest that you search and research for the truth. But in the final word, you cannot honestly rationalize and make excuses for their fraud and deceit and denials. Now you can go to our website, uh, whatloveisthis.tv, show notes slash index for some resources online. Uh, you will find a copy of the Juvenile Instructor, which I talked about earlier. And there's also an article that a friend of our ministry did, and it's entitled, Let the President Speak. And you can go there and download those resources. And if you didn't get the website, you can email us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and we will give you the resources through email. And now we want to talk a little bit about Heber C. Kimball. Uh, we always bring up Joseph Smith's historical escapades on our program, and we'll continue to do that. And, of course, a few shows ago, we did dedicate some time to Brigham Young. And now tonight, we want to talk about the real Heber C. Kimball to our viewers. Heber C. Kimball, most of you would know, was a leader of the early Mormon church. He was born June 14, 1801 in Vermont. He was one of the original 12 apostles, and he was the first counselor to Brigham Young from 1847 until his death. Uh, Heber C. Kimball was the stepfather to Joseph F. Smith, who was Mormonism's sixth president, and the twelfth president, uh, Spencer Kimball, was Heber Kimball's grandson. 
descriptions of Heber C. Kimball say that he was an erect, portly man with full-chested and broad-shouldered, about six feet tall, and he weighed in at about 200 pounds. You'll notice as we go through some of Kimball's remarks that he was a colorful character. He was also rude and crude and cared little either for his wives or for what people thought of him. In 1822, he married a woman, Valate Murray, uh, which was before he ever heard of Mormonism or of polygamy. But when polygamy was introduced, Heber C. Kimball jumped in with all fours, which ultimately uh, proven when he took uh, 45 wives and he fathered 65 children. And by the way, bringing 65 children into the world is not considered good fruit. Any male can make children, but no one can properly be a father to 65 children. Nine of his wives were widows of Joseph Smith. One was a widow of Hiram Smith. He married five pairs of sisters, which is, was against biblical command. And 16 of his wives eventually left him. He is reported to have had sexual relationships with only 17 of his 45 wives, and whether or not that's true, that's lost in the annals of history, I'm sure. When Joseph Smith was killed, Heber C. Kimball and Brigham Young swooped down like vultures to take the lion's share of Joseph Smith's plural widows. Joseph Smith had several female friends who would let him use their homes as places for him to meet secretly with women. Heber C. Kimball tells a story about that one day, and I quote, he said, I sat down with Joseph in his office in the mansion house. He looked out of the window and saw weeding in a garden a young married woman whom we both knew. He told me to go to her and request her to come to him, and he would have her sealed to himself this very moment. I went out and told the woman to come to Brother Joseph. She ran to the house to comb her hair and fix up, generally, and then followed me to the prophet. I performed the sealing ceremony and retired. Heber C. Kimball obviously re uh, performed plural marriages for Joseph Smith. Kimball received the Holy Order, known now as the Temple Endowment, from Joseph Smith. And he wrote a letter, which I'm going to show part of it on the screen, and he wrote it to Parley P. Pratt. Now, on the screen, you'll notice some very odd spelling, but this is in Heber C. Kimball's own words and what he wrote himself. And we quote, we have received some precious things through the prophet on the priesthood that would cause your soul to rejoice. Brother Joseph says masonry was taken from priesthood but has become degenerated, but many things are perfect. So Kimball was a mason and was one of the founders of the Nauvoo Masonic Lodge. The Mormon temple ceremony then and now did not originate from divine revelation, but instead it reflects the Masonic secret ceremonies plagiarized by Joseph Smith. Neither Masonry nor Mormonism have any biblical heritage. Studying the Bible, if you would do that, contextually and historically will e easily establish that fact to be true. In 1858, Heber C. Kimball explained, quote, We have the true masonry. The masonry of today is received from the apostasy which took place in the days of Solomon and David. They have now and then a thing that is correct, but we have the real thing. So not only did the early Mormons teach that true Christianity was lost and needed restoration, they also taught the same restoration was needed for true masonry. Yet neither of those statements are true.
Masonry remains the same today as it was then, and their Christianity that needed restoration would only make God out as a liar. But we know that men are the liars and not God. Heber C. Kimball was a huge supporter and believer in plural marriage, as is witnessed by his having 45 wives. He claimed that he refused to argue with any of his wives. And he said, I quote, If ever I am so foolish as to quarrel with a woman, I ought to be whipped. For you may always calculate that they will have the last word. Well, we wonder that his fear of not being able to have the last word had caused him to mimic Brigham Young, who took a dictatorial approach to treating his wives. During the summer of 1841, Joseph Smith asked Heber C. Kimball to give him his wife, Valate, to be a plural wife for him. And after some deep soul-searching, Kimball agreed. And Joseph Smith then told him he didn't want his wife. It had only been a test. And then he turned around and took his 14-year-old daughter instead. But that is a cruel test, one that God is not the author of. Of course, if Heber C. Kimball had known what the Bible had to say about it, he would never have suffered with such an insulting and sinful request from any man. Heber C. Kimball and his family left Nauvoo with the other Mormons and came west to Utah. And when they left, he had with him at least 30, 38 wives, and four of them were pregnant. And in Salt Lake, he became known as Brigham's Prophet. He became second counselor and was obedient servant to Brigham Young. At one point he said, and I quote, If Brother Brigham tells me to do a thing, it is the same as though the Lord told me to do it. This is, of course, for you and every other saint to take. He also commanded the people, and I quote, If you are told by your leader to do a thing, do it. It's none of your business whether it's right or wrong, end quote. Now what could be easier for the leaders than for you to follow them blindly and without question, and whatever you do, don't seek to find out what Jesus says about it. About being a prophet, Heber C. Kimball said that people all the time are telling him he was a prophet. Brigham Young encouraged Heber C. Kimball to be a prophet, and he said about himself that he wasn't a visionary man, nor was he given to prophecy. He said that he wanted anything done, he would go to Heber C. Kimball, and Kimball was his prophet because he loved to prophesy. Kimball, however, prove, proved himself to be a false prophet. He predicted that President Buchanan would die an untimely death. But when he died, Buchanan was 10 years older than Heber C. Kimball, and they both died the same year. Only one false prophecy equals a false prophet. Like all the early Mormon church leaders, Heber C. Kimball despised Christians and Christianity. He said, and I quote, Christians, those poor, miserable priests, Brother Brigham was speaking about, some of them are the biggest whoremasters there are on the earth, and at the same time preaching righteousness to the children of men. The poor devils, they could not get up here and preach an oral discourse to save themselves from hell. They are preaching their father's sermons, preaching sermons that were written a hundred years ago before they were born, end quote. You know, that's a pretty nasty, slanderous, blanket statements about Christians, and he could never have known it was true. Heber C. Kimball often preached about polygamy, and I'd like to share <coughs> excuse me, some of his most colorful quotes about plural marriage. And he said, Some quietly listen to those who speak against the plurality of wives. Such persons have a half a dozen devils with them all the time. 
You might as well deny Mormonism and turn away from it as to oppose the plurality of wives. All the authorities unite and say with one voice that they will oppose that doctrine, and the whole of them would be damned. What are you opposing it for? It is a principle that God has revealed for the salvation of the human family. Just like Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, Heber C. Kimball threatened damnation to all who turned away from the plural wife doctrine. You modern-day Mormons, you've apostatized big time from original Joseph Smith Mormonism. According to them, the polygamists are the true practicing Mormons. Heber C. Kimball said, quote, I speak of a plurality of wives as one of the most holy principles that God <clears throat> ever revealed to man, and all those who exercise an influence against it, man or woman, will be damned. And he also declared, you might as well deny Mormonism and turn away from it as to oppose the plurality of wives. Pretty much says a lot, doesn't it? February 1st, 1849, Heber C. Kimball talks in Sunday meeting that plural marriage would end when the, when the church had gone to the devil or the priesthood taken from this people, then God would give it to another people, end quote. So if you're a Mormon watching our show tonight with this information, <clears throat> you now can better understand why the polygamists call themselves fundamentalist Mormons. All of your Mormon founders threatened live polygamy forever and ever or lose your Mormon church, lose your keys, lose your priesthood, and lose your eternal life. They all taught that. Is it true or is it false? And of course, it was Heber C. Kimball who made the infamous remark, I think no more of taking another wife than I do of buying a cow. Just another witness of the low degree that early polygamous men considered women, and it hasn't changed much since then. Women are still held in low esteem by a lot of Mormonish groups. Heber Kimball was an aggressive defender of the Mormon church system. He said, The moment a young man leaves the church, he is then a traitor to the law of laws. All he has is confiscated, and he is punished accordingly, and so it is in the church and kingdom of God. Unfortunately, this brutal and ungodly dogma is true today in both the polygamy groups and in the Mormon church itself. Many people tried to leave in those early Mormon days, and some of them later would be found dead. Some of them, their heads had been removed, perhaps shot, and oftentimes their throats had been cut from ear to ear, which fulfilled their temple oaths. They were not allowed to get out from behind the Mormon Zion curtain. Is this really from God? Heber C. Kimball did not follow the teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught, do not curse your enemies, but pray for them. And Heber C. Kimball preached, quote, pray for them? Yes, I pray that God Almighty would send them to hell. Such a lack of love and patient comp compassion by those, those early Mormon polygamists. He also said, men who will associate with the wicked and take a course to commit whoredom with a view to gratify their cursed passions, we will take them and slay them before this people. Don't pray for them. Kill them. In July 16th of 1854, Heber C. Kimball recommended decapitation for adulterers and preached from the pulpit concerning unclean women. 
In a, 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 a talk in, uh, that's in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, he talked on sanctification and he said, quote, We wipe all the unclean ones from our midst. We do not only wipe them from our streets, but we wipe them out of existence. We will not have them in this valley unless they repent. For so help me God while I live, I will lend my hand to wipe such persons out. Is he volunteering to murder them himself? I'm glad Jesus didn't take that attitude in John chapter 8 when the woman was brought to him and she had been caught in the act of adultery. Jesus saved her and had compassion on her. He didn't threaten to take her head off. These are the earliest verified examples of someone literally, literally taking at face value the repeated teachings of early Mormon leaders that apostates and adulterers should have their heads cut off as blood atonement for their sins. According to D. Michael Quinn's book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Extensions of Power, he wrote that on September 12, 1858, the church historian's office noted that a discovery that morning was made of a severed head of a Provo woman who had been at the U.S. military camp for a week. Six weeks earlier, another woman's head had also been discovered. Their threats were taken seriously. Heber C. Kimball stated in a general conference that missionaries to England should not marry the women they converted, but to bring them home for the leaders to choose from for as well. He spoke to a group of departing missionaries. The brother missionaries have been in the habit of picking out the prettiest women for themselves before they get here and bringing on the ugly ones for us. Hereafter, you have to bring them all here before taking any of them and let us all have a fair shake. And again, he said, I say to those who are elected to go on missions, remember that they are not your sheep. Then do not make a cho choice of any of those sheep. Do not make selection before they are brought home and put into the field. Such was the attitude toward females in the early Mormon polygamist male mind. Sheep, cattle, pinned up so that the men can make their selections. And more recently, Gordon Hinckley made the remark, that a man's wife was his greatest possession. Heber C. Kimball stated that Brigham Young would become President of the United States. The church and kingdom to which we belong will become the kingdom of our God and His Christ, and Brother Brigham will become President of the United States. Of course, Brigham Young may have been king and dictator of Mormon Zion, but he never became the country's president, again proving that he was not a true prophet at all. Heber C. Kimball was injured late May of 1868 when he was thrown from a buggy. He died just a few weeks later on June 22, 1868. He was buried near his home in Salt Lake City. His estate was valued at $100,580, which in today's money would be more than $2 million. So that's a quick rundown on Heber C. Kimball. We've run a little over time. Uh, we're going to open our phone lines. Give us a call, 801-973-TV20, if you would like to um, join in on this discussion. We'd love to hear from you, but remember, you need to turn down your volume, and you must allow a two-way conversation. And right now, we have a message we'd like to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This?, Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. 
Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. Uh, we're glad that you have returned and joined us. Uh, we have been talking about the racist history, doctrinal history of the blacks uh, and the priesthood with the Mormon church. And we've also been talking about uh, one of the colorful uh, but very uh, incredulous people, characters of the early Mormon church, Heber C. Kimball, a polygamist who had 45 wives. Our phone lines are full. We don't have anyone ready to take a call yet. So I thought I'd, I'd read an email that I received a while back uh, from a disgruntled viewer. He said, I just caught four minutes of your show. Why do you care about the Mormons or Joseph Smith do? You should be wasting your time on stuff that makes you a better person so that when you meet your maker, he will be proud of you, not sad because you spent your whole life hurting others. That's what he said. Four minutes. Four minutes he watched the show and he can make such uh, profound judgments. And he can judge me saying that I am wasting my life 
you know, we care about the, what the Mormons teach, what the polygamists teach, what Joseph Smith taught, because that all stands from him. And if he is proven to be an upright character, then he's worthy to be listened to. But if he isn't an upright character, then we need to warn. And we are told in the Bible that we need to warn people if they're following false doctrine or false prophets. And that's what we, that's exactly what we do. Now, I hope that this viewer who watched four minutes of our program, that he doesn't make other important life's choices or eternal life's choices as flippantly and, and unfortunately as he did this one. Okay, we have a call coming in from Cedar City. Uh, Mike is calling. Hello, Mike. Yes. You're on the air, Mike. You're on the air, Mike. Hey. Yes, Lewis, you're Lewis, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Well, I can. The, the, the question that I, that, that I have about your program is that you, you, you say that the, the, the black people's curse was their dark skin. But that wasn't the curse that God put up on the black people. God didn't put a curse on the black people at all. It's just what they claimed. That's what they claimed. Yeah. Then, then also, then the curse that, 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 Adam, that Adam had, uh, the, the, Mormons, the Mormons say that, that we're held accountable for our own transgressions, but me and you got his curse. His curse is death, and me and you die today. Mike, the curse is for our sins. The wages of sin is death. Right. Exactly but, right. But, so but we, God, didn't God say that, that your curse will be death? He says the wages of sin is death. He says the day you, that you eat of that tree is the day you will die. So the, the penalty for sinning is death. Okay. And we all sin, and so we all die. Right. And then when Jesus came, he didn't sin. But he took upon himself all of our sins, and he died right. because the but penalty was, of sin is death. See, so he took Jesus took the curse. Okay, but but the LDS say that 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 we're not held accountable for what Adam did, but in turn we we actually are because we we die. We're responsible for our own sins. I don't pay for Adam's sin, but because Adam was the first sinner, uh, sin came into the world through Adam, and therefore we are all sinners, then we are all subject to death. Okay. And there was another, another question. Okay. That I had. It's, it's about the Lamanite people. The Lamanite people were supposed to come out of Egypt, and they were supposed to either speak Egyptian or Hebrew. Why don't they? Why don't they speak that today? <laughs> uh, most people get their languages from their ancestors. They why do. don't the Indian people speak Hebrew or Egyptian? That's a good question, Mike. Uh, actually, if you want to go back to the nitty gritty of it, there's no such thing as, as Lamanites. There's no such thing as all of that information in the Book of Mormon. It's all a fraud. It's just a myth. That's kind of what I was thinking. That's exactly why I was wondering why they didn't speak Egyptian. There is no historical evidence for one single event, people, time, or 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 uh, place in the Book of Mormon. Not one. I, and, uh, I, well, and and I'm now coming to that reality of it. Good. Good. Yes. Good. But anyway, you're doing a good job, Doris. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate God, it. God bless you. Thank you. He is. Okay. Uh -huh. Goodbye. Okay, we have line three, Yvonne calling from St. George. Hello, Yvonne. 
Yes, hello, Doris. Hello, you're on the air. Yeah, how are you today? I'm doing good, thank you. Yeah, I was wondering, with um, with all that uh, come out about the teacher at BYU that spoke about uh, the black people, and then I heard that they put a rebuttal in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's why we did this tonight. That he didn't represent the church. I was just wondering why nobody is stepping up to the plate and actually putting, like, in the newspaper or something, what was actually taught to the Mormon people. Because I used to be Mormon, and I was taught that the black man had the mark of Cain. You bet. And I got real upset, and I left the church when I was 13 because of that. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering, I mean, your show does really good, but and you get out to the public a little bit, but I was wondering why... uh, People didn't get together and actually put doctrine in the newspaper so that everybody could see that. That's a a really good question. I know that the Mormon Church has a lot of power and a lot of push, and uh, they can can make or stop something from happening. Um, I don't know anything that's going on behind the scenes, but that's a good question. Someone should have the courage, the boldness to stand up for the truth and come out with that in print in the local newspaper, national newspapers, that they actually did teach the curse of Cain and that the blacks were cursed. And there are some uh, there are some real nasty quotes that I come across. I didn't do them all tonight. Of course, you can't do them all. But they were terrible the way they talked about the black people. Yes, very, very terrible. And, and, uh, and I felt like they talk about the family values and, and, uh, love one another, and yet they had more hatred for the black man than, than they did down south. Well, they had a lot of hatred for the black people. They also had a lot of hatred for Christians. You know, I, I did one quote tonight where Heber C. Kimball uh, talked about uh, the Christians have a dozen devils with them all the time. Others said that, that Christianity was hatched in hell, and, and they, they just were very hateful people in those early days. Yeah, and I heard where you were talking about they were talking about the Masons. I've been told that the temple up in Salt Lake City has Mason emblems around the outside. Is they that do. true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of their emblems on the outside of the temple is from Masonry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not real familiar with Masons, but I know it's not a good thing. Well, it, Joseph Smith said it was from God, and we find that it wasn't. <laughs> find it was right. from Masonry. Okay, well, thank you for your call. I want to thank you for your show. I watch you every week. You're my favorite program. And I just want to say God bless you. And keep doing the work. Okay. As long as the Lord lets us, we will. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night. Okay, we have Dennis calling from West Valley. Hello, Dennis. Yes. Yes, you're on the air. Yeah, I just had a question. Uh Uh, My great-great... Grandfather was Henry Grower. You familiar with him? Henry Grower? Henry Grower was Brigham Young's uh, architect. Supposedly, what my grandmother told me, was the architect of the tabernacle. Uh, no, I'm not familiar with uh, with him. Well, I know his picture hangs in the Pioneer Museum. Okay. But uh, my, my question was, 
it's supposed to be too many wives for his, you know, they have this hierarchy in the church. You can have so many wives if you're the higher up in the church, the more wives you can have, I guess, at that particular time. Well, I don't know if there was really a, a, a doctrine on that, but it seemed like that the higher up you were, the more you did get. That's true with today's polygamy groups, too. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think he took his sixth wife, and from what my grandmother told me, they threw him in jail because he had one wife too many. I mean, did that, did that really... Did that stuff really happen back then? I don't know. I really, if he had six wives and he had one wife too many, somebody probably told him not to take that sixth wife, but there's no official doctrine for anything like that. Maybe he took a wife that somebody else had their eye on and it ticked him off and so they used that as an excuse. <laughs> I really don't know. That could have been it. Yeah, uh, I, I have no okay, idea. Okay, well, I'll, I'll research a little more and see if I can find out. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you, Dennis. Bye-bye. Uh, bye. Okay. Um, we have more people on the line, but we don't have any calls ready yet, so I'll read another email. This one says, um, I admire you and watch your program every Thursday night. I'm at least a sixth-generation Mormon. Both sides of my family immigrated as pioneers. I had no idea of polygamy in my own history until recently. We do not know or associate with any relations produced by polygamy. My eyes have been opened by you, and I am trying to educate and learn my way out of Mormonism. My question is, how did you learn not to be subservient to men? I mean this as a compliment. You hold your own with your male guests, and you have your own ministry. You must feel that you have something to say and a right to say it. I work in a male-dominated field with a state agency, and I am constantly reminded that I am just a woman. I work with less educated men who believe they know best because they have the priesthood. License or not, I am a lonely woman. I am doing my best not to let them browbeat me or the other woman. women. I would appreciate your philosophy. Well, you know, we, we talked tonight about the black issue, which the, the early Mormon church embraced. And it's the same way with females. The females in the Mormon religion has always had to take second place to the men, and specifically because of the priesthood as well. Uh, but also, I mentioned some scriptures earlier that God doesn't show favoritism. To him, there's no male nor female if you're in Christ. And, and he doesn't think less of women than he does of men. He doesn't love men more than he loves women. And that's been some of the problem with uh, women in polygamy is they wonder and they'll even hurt deeply because they think that God loves the men more than they love the women. Also, um, she wrote in her email that... I must feel like I have something to say and the right to say it. You bet. We're living America. This is a free country, and we have freedom of speech here. Now, I know the Zion Curtain doesn't want freedom of speech, and they will squelch it all the time. So do the polygamy groups. But we have the right to speak out whether we're male or female, and we have something to say. And the Bible tells us that we are to contend for the faith once and for all given to the saints. And that's what we're doing. We are contending for the truths of Jesus Christ, for the truths of the Bible. And the truth is that God loves women 
as much as he loves men and not he doesn't love either one more than the other um, I hope that this young woman is doing better in her work and I hope that you can grasp the fact that you don't have to take second place to men and furthermore the priesthood uh, that the Mormonism that Mormons have is a usurped priesthood they don't really have that power the only power that any male priesthood can hold over you is what you let them have because biblically they don't have any power over you only God does okay we've got full lines there but nothing on the screen yet so I'll do another email <clears throat> this one says hi Doris we love your show on television and thank you for it my grandson is an LDS on an LDS mission, and in his last letter to us, he said, The Book of Mormon has been scrutinized for years and years, and no one has been able to prove it wrong. How do we answer this? What is the best answer that we could give him? We know the Book of Mormon is not true, and the LDS doctrine also is not true, thanks to you, your guest, and others. Our problem is more dealing with our family than anything else, so we have to walk on eggs. You know, I could take this quote where he said the Book of Mormon has been scrutinized for years and years and no one has been able to prove it wrong. I can change one word on there and we'll have a true statement. And that true statement is, the Book of Mormon has been scrutinized for years and years, and no one has been able to prove it right. Because it isn't. It has been scrutinized deeply and, and, and dissected, and it's a 19th century document. Uh, there's no historical evidence. There's no archaeological evidence. There's no spiritual evidence. There is uh, even uh, the Smithsonian Institute and, and other places have denied the fact that they ever go to the, to the Book of Mormon to find out any information because it's not true. There's nothing there that's true. So I am sorry. I know that the Mormon church does um, sh shun people. So do um, polygamy groups when you leave their, their fold. But uh, standing up for the truth of God in Jesus Christ is the most important thing. Okay, we have a call from Tallahassee, Florida. Tremaine is calling. Hello, Tremaine. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Hi. Um, Sister Doris, I applaud everything, that, all that you're doing today. I'm... Watching the um, broadcast about you talking about blacks, and I am a Christian and also a black man, and just want to know how do you reach out to blacks who are in Mormonism, whether from mainstream Mormonism? I don't. I don't know. I'm amazed that any black person would ever become a Mormon with the history that they have, and I do know that. Um, uh, that they have lied to them about their early Mormon black doctrine. But if you know some people that are in Mormonism who are black, I would share, of course, share Jesus, share the truth of the gospel uh, from the Bible. And uh, you might even want to bring in some of the early Mormon black doctrine to show them that that's their basis. Interesting. Yeah, and you can Google online, <clears throat> you can Google Mormonism and the blacks or racism and Mormonism, and you'll get a lot of good information. Okay. Do you know very many black people down in your area? Actually, one, Mormon? Um, the mother is from Fort Lauderdale, and the daughter moved to um, South Weber, Utah. Oh, uh-huh, okay. And, uh... And well, you might go her, <clears throat> when we visited to to see Sandra Tanner, and she wanted to leave within a few minutes, and claimed she was anti-Mormon. Why don't you go online to our to our website that I mentioned earlier and uh, download the resource? What the president let the president speak, and that will give you some information to share with the Black Mormon. 
Okay. Okay? All right, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we have Gail calling from Logan, but we don't have time to take her call. Gail, if you want to leave information, I'll be happy to call you back, or you can call next week. You know, if you take several people out in a field, and if you ask each one of them to try and jump to the moon, some would jump six inches high, and some might jump 18 inches high, and some might jump three feet high. And the one who jumps three feet high will jump closer to the moon than the one who jumped six inches high, and that is ridiculously short. It's an absurd analogy, you might say, but it makes the point. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how hard we try or don't try, God's glory is as unreachable to us as jumping to the moon is. The only way to get to the moon is to climb inside a powerful rocket and depend upon it to take us to the moon. And the only way to reach heaven and the glory of God is to be in Christ and depend upon Him to take us there. We've all sinned, and once we've all sinned, that very first sin, there's no going back, there's no way to do anything to make it that you haven't sinned, and that's the problem. All have sinned, and none of our efforts will ever wipe out our sin, and good works won't remove our sin. In, just like you need to be in the rocket to take you to the moon, you need to be in Christ to take you to heaven. Once you're inside the rocket headed to the moon, you can jump up and down and the whole trip and it won't get you any closer to the moon. Only the rocket will do that. And when we trust in Christ to get us to heaven, no good works will help get us there. Once we're in Christ, only He gets us there. There's no other way. He will only accept us if you will bow down humbly before Him and with a repentant heart and a willingness to admit our sinfulness, knowing our need for Him. You must throw everything out. Everything must go. Nothing counts for anything except and only Jesus Christ. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.